We have always existed, and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you. Making Queer History Podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Will. And today we're going to be talking about Lesbia Harford. Yeah, I think I mispronounced that every time I've said it so far. You want to say say lesbian so bad. I want to say lesbian so bad. I just want to say lesbian. All the time. But yeah, contrary to uh, any popular assumption, lesbia. Not a lesbian. Not a lesbian. Not a lesbian. She. I'm sorry. It must be heartbreaking to, to our pun lesbians. Right? In the audience. I'm sure there's more than one pun lesbian in the audience and we personally apologize. Yeah. Um, you missed out on this one. Uh, you can, however, name your child Lesbia. Yeah, to make up for it. Yes. Make up for it. Though if there's yeah. a whole generation named Lesbia, I think there's going to be issues. I think there is. Will there, though? You know what? You know what? It reminds me of, like, you know, how last names, how last names are, how, like, uh, like way back when they were sort of, like, named after the profession. Mm-hmm. Like Baker. Lesbian. <laughs> lesbian. <laughs> That's a profession. I mean, they Full deserve to be paid time for time job. They do. Especially considering the amount of emotional labor they do for the community. Yeah. Like, let's not let, let's not ignore that. Shout out to all the lesbians who do emotional labor for the community. I remember, um, I remember I have this, uh, this lesbian friend who, uh, when when the apocalypse started with COVID, <laughs> a lot of people were like, we, we just need to put a lesbian in charge of this. And she was like, yeah, this is a funny joke because lesbians, you know, always know what the fuck they're doing. But it's actually really fucking annoying how much the community automatically relies on women to do all this emotional labor Mm. without ever examining that, without Mm. ever examining, like, I would say beyond just lesbians, like, obviously bisexual women as well, but I would say also transgender women. There's so much reliance on them to do, like, emotional labor, to do unpaid emotional labor. I remember Tumblr used to circulate these stories all the time about, like, how a trans woman, like, saved them, and it was, like, this hero narrative, and I'm like, okay, that's great, but, like, are we sort of moving into some sort of model minority myth? Mm. And also, like, where are all the cis gay men? Where are all the cis gay men? Where are you, where are you doing the emotional labor? Because, like, that being said, they're doing the emotional labor for the cis straight women. Mm. Not to drag them. They're doing Ooh, it for the outsiders. There it is. <laughs> they're outsourcers. <laughs> they're a connection. With, like, the, and, and, you know, straight men, like, the queer eye and stuff. They're, mm-hmm. they're giving their emotional labor to outside the community, and the rest of us are giving their emotional labor to inside the community and trying to heal from the people who are forcing or who are being forced by the outside community <laughs> to give their emotional labor. It's a, it's a hard cycle. That being said, lesbians deserve to be paid. They all more. do. Mm-hmm. Give your local lesbian $25. Do it. Do it now. Especially if you rely on her for emotional labor. 100%. Give your local woman in general. If you rely on a woman. Or femme. Or I would even say like. If you rely on a queer person for emotional labor, give them 20. Venmo them. I don't have a Venmo. PayPal them. PayPal, Venmo. Literally like slip a $20 under their door. I don't know. Whatever you have to do, do it. Because like even if you're within the queer community, because I do definitely there is a problem within the queer community of like pushing our emotional labor off on certain people mm-hmm. and that's how you get burnout right 100 percent. like i think treat them to a pizza buy them burnout's coffee. canceled <laughs> <laughs> is that like the pizza party thing that people joke about now 
where like the the a toxic work environment and the the boss tries to solve it by having a pizza party. Oh my god! Is that what I'm trying to do now? Mm, yes. I'm the boss of the queer community, being like, give them a pizza party. <laughs> the pizza party will solve everything. It won't solve everything. Pizza's no. not that good in the first place. I know I say a lot of controversial opinions on here. No one at me on this. I'm I'm right. Actually, you can't at me. I admit the pizza's cool. It just doesn't taste good to me. It's just a neat idea. You like certain pizzas. I like I like very specific pizzas. So much of the things that I dislike, <laughs> this is just so random, but so much of the things that I dislike are re- less me disliking them as a whole, but me only liking them under very specific conditions. And like we're talking very specific very, conditions. Very, very, very specific conditions that I just don't believe will be met or I'm not willing to go through the labor of having them met or asking for what is needed for them to be met. <laughs> So I just like say that I don't like it, cause like it is valid. Yeah, it is just so much easier than just like being like, well, you know, if someone's like, oh, do we want to get pizza? Instead of saying like, I don't like pizza, sorry, be like, I'd have to be like, oh, well, I need pizza without red sauce, and if you put onions on it, I don't like it, and if you put certain kinds of meats on it, I can't have it, and if you like, <laughs> it gets and a if little you get bold. it from this certain place, I will not be able to enjoy exactly. it. Exactly, and, and that's pizza seventy three. Pizza seventy three. This is a pizza seventy three hate account. My workplace will only ever buy us pizza from Pizza Hut and Pizza 73. Pizza 73, hate account. This is... I would actually every say... Every social media. And, like, this is just mm-hmm. because I don't remember exactly what mm-hmm. Pizza 73 tastes like. It's horrible. Pizza Hut is the worst. You're wrong. Pizza 73 is the worst. I believe that. That's factual. I'm not sure if Pizza 73 is, like, a thing in other countries. I don't know if it's just a Canadian thing or if it's an American thing. No one at me if it is in other countries. Like, whatever. It's... it's. I, I believe. I believe it's, like... No, I believe it's trash everywhere. I, I do. I, I refuse. Pizza 73 is the Burger King of pizza places. When I was a kid, Burger King was like my fave. You were wrong. Fair enough. You were wrong. I once ordered it from Burger King and it was the worst experience I've had in my entire life. I am so sorry. It was it was near trauma. <laughs> it was so <laughs> gross. You know, like the thing, the film on top of gravy oh, that no. happens? That's what it was. Oh no. Like, oh no. There was almost no gravy and it was only film on top of gravy. Also, and also if, the gravy tastes like it in the first If place. you're not Canadian, look up what, what a poutine is. Look up poutine. Mm-hmm. P-O-U-T-I-N-E. One letter away from routine. Yes. Look up a teen and then be like, what the fuck are Canadians doing? No, no. It is a logical step. It is so logical. It is. That's a fact. Like, you're right. But also, what the fuck? (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, the fries? Cool. The gravy? Cool. The cheese curd? I'm sorry. What the hell? Uh, Okay. And I like poutine. Poutine is nice. But I remember coming to Canada for the first time. I got you McDonald's poutine, though. That 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 was on me. But, like, even still after that, I'm always like, what am I eating? This That's makes fair. zero sense in a culinary standard. Well, um, European culinary standards are bullshit first place. That's fair. I come from a country where everything's boiled. Yeah. So. And I just, like, I refuse to listen to any European. <laughs> okay, no. I, I refuse to listen to any Western European tell me how food should be made. Valid. I believe that none of them know what they're talking about. Valid. And I'm including the French. Valid. I refuse to believe that any French person knows how to cook. Except this for like, is just anti-Quebec. You just don't like Quebec. I don't don't like. No, actually, I don't like Quebec. You're right. the The reason I don't like Quebec is is very valid, though. Yes. That being, they they like act like they're this like liberal haven and make fun of Alberta all the time, being like they're the Texas of Canada, and then they ban 
niqabs. And I'll and, believe also hijabs. And hijabs. And then they're like, oh, by the way, you have to have facial coverings to go in public places. And poor women in niqabs are like, we had them, but you wouldn't let us go places. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you talking about? Quebec is the worst because they think they're really liberal and everyone thinks they're really liberal. And then they're just like, oh, by the way, we hate brown people as a general concept. And the rest of us are like, yeah, that seems legit. Like, it really frustrates me. Not to get too into Canadian politics, but, like, one of the big things about that really frustrates me about Canadian politics is, as, an, as someone who grew up in Alberta, is that, like, the country really likes to scapegoat racism. They they like to scapegoat racism as an American thing, for one. Mm. They like to be like, it's not here in Canada because racism exists in America, which is just a lie. And then when they're done doing that and it's, like, too obvious, they're like, well, the worst racism is in Alberta because Alberta is the Texas of Canada. And I'm like... There is so much racism in Alberta and it's a real legitimate problem. But are we going to talk about like Thunder Bay where like, which is the national fucking hotspot of hate crimes? Like, are we going to talk about that? Are we going to talk about like all of these fucking horrendous things happening in every province? Mm -hmm. Are we going to talk about the fact that the Northwest Territories needs more fucking homeless shelters because they have none, even though they regularly have minus 40 weather? Mm -hmm. How do you have zero homeless shelters in a place that regularly has Minus 40 degree rather. Like, what the fuck and are also, you doing? Like, the lack and of... hugely expensive yeah. rent. Sorry. Expensive rent, expensive food, lack of drinking water. Yeah. Justin Trudeau was pretending to be buddy pals. Buddy pals. With with uh, a lot of indigenous people. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, we're going to solve all this problem. And he's done shit all. He's done shit all. And now he's just not even touching the Mi'kmaq mm-hmm. situation. Because he's a little baby. I was going to call him bitch, but you've... Okay. Yeah. Baby also works. Mm-hmm. And, like, not to, like, put one political leader as the answer to every problem, because I don't believe that in that. But Jagmeet Singh is the only politician in, in Canada who I will listen to lecturing about racism. Mm-hmm. Like, that, he's not the only one. He's the only one upper prime minister mm-hmm. that I'm willing to listen to when he discusses racism. And it, it really frustrates me, because... And he gets kicked out of the house floor because he calls someone who is being racist a racist. By the way, Bloc Québécois is the most racist party in Canada, and mm-hmm. I will not stand down from that. And Quebec can eat my ass. And until you figure that shit out, you can't just keep being like, but 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 Alberta. Mm-hmm. Like you no, stop doing that. Your politicians are in the fucking like House of Commons being like being racist towards other members of like, are you kidding me? Shut the fuck up and look in your backyard for a minute, okay? Right. Also, Norway is currently having, like, not political issues per se, like, low-key political issues, uh, but I follow one of the largest Norwegian anti-racism Instagrams, mm-hmm. and she has just started saying that, and, like, she's right, she's mm-hmm. right, she's 100% correct, but uh, white Norwegians will not take it, because apparently she's been saying that no one, you can't be racist against white people. True. And white Norwegians... I think I'm gonna, as as a, as a project when I go to Norway, mm-hmm. try really hard to be racist. White Norwegians, like a white person. Idea. I think I'm allowed. I think you are too. You know, like I think that's my right. Mm-hmm. Um, also, and having to deal with all your all the people in Norway having very interesting opinions about interesting subjects. <laughs> Turns out there are shitty people in every single place in the world. So scapegoating it on one area is never a good idea. Mm. You're right. And um, and to be fair, I I said that, like, Alberta, like, don't give Alberta criticism on racism. You should give Alberta criticism on racism. I just wish that more provinces spent time 
analyzing the racism within their area Mm -hmm. as well as the racism within our area as well. 100%. And I think that should be most countries. Like, I know we all love pointing fingers at the states. Yeah. And I know we all love engaging in activism that affects the state because one this because i know that the u.s tends to turn into somewhat of a focal point for mm-hmm. political mm-hmm. issues because they're such they're so loud they're so loud and they're they so exist on such a grand grand scale well i don't think they exist on a grand scale i'm gonna argue that mm-hmm. i don't think they exist on a grand scale i think they're loud and they are the hub of media in the world mm, that's true and because they're the hub of media in the world they have deluded themselves into believing they are the hub of the world. Mm-hmm. And it is unfortunate that has happened. And I, I can't wait until that. I think internet is, is diversifying that. And I, I agree. We all, we all like sort of pointing fingers and being like, well, at least we're not that guy. <laughs> Which, mood. But I also think that like, there is a certain level. And I think especially uh, Americans are sort of waking up to the fact that like, they're like, hey, your country is shit too. But I, I do get a little frustrated with it sometimes because I'm like... <sighs> You're only, like, you're only playing the game to benefit you. Mm-hmm. Like, you're never playing the game to benefit other countries. Like, I feel like I, I have a lot of people who I follow on social media who are American. And we haven't talked about what we're supposed to talk about yet, but whatever. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have so many people who I follow on social media who are American who are like, let's focus on, on American politics. That's fine. They focus on American politics. They talk about it a lot. Fantastic. So proud of them. And then they're like... Everyone has to be sharing this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I, you know what? This is an important cause. I believe in it. Something like Black Lives Matter. I do believe in that. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that it has applicable statements to almost every country in the world. Mm-hmm. Not every country in the world, but almost. Like mm-hmm. a significant number of them. And I'm like, okay, I, I can understand that. And then they're like, okay, well, everyone needs to focus on things that are a little bit more local. I'm like, oh, I understand how the, the election will affect us all, but... I'm not going to focus on a congressional election within a country mm-hmm. that's not my own. I'm sorry. I don't care. And then they'll do a little bit more and a little bit more. And then when someone's like, hey, America, you can't be in this like international discussion about racism because you're fucking a disaster. Mm-hmm. They're like, what? And we're like, you have been forcing us to do so much labor. Like the internet has sort of given especially Americans, the tools to push people into doing so much labor for them. Mm-hmm. Every other country is doing so much labor for them of like sharing things, doing activism, donating, signing petitions for American causes. And then when you turn around and say like, hey, maybe your country's fucked up, they get real, real mad. Mm-hmm. They're like, wait, what? Or if you do say like, th- that's not true for everyone, but like, or if you say care about another country's issues, it's never reciprocated. Mm-hmm. And... If you call it their country in a way that they, they don't particularly like, they'll immediately go back to those issues, which really frustrates me. I've had it happen so many times where, like, you, like, a, a criticism is put forward of their country, and they're immediately like, well, what about the missing emerging indigenous women in Canada? I'm like, they're not a talking point, baby. Mm-hmm. They're like, missing women. I really need you to actually give a shit about them more than when it makes a point for you. 100%. Like, if you're going to call me out for it what are you doing yeah what the fuck because like i i I went on a rant about this before on the podcast because this happened with someone very particularly being like you know like you can't criticize uh castro because uh canada has missing murder indigenous women problem and and i talked about how like my personal experience with that problem and how i find it so disrespectful that these people use it Mm -hmm. as if it's like a ball of mud Mm -hmm. to throw at each other and i'm like no you I would welcome 
an in-depth discussion from outside countries about this problem. But you're not having an in-depth discussion. You're being like, fuck you. Mm -hmm. It's like you're not saying anything nuanced. You're not adding anything to the conversation. You're literally just using it as an insult. And I'm like, it's not an insult. It's a genocide. Yeah. It's a genocide that's happening in my country. And I really don't like that people are using it as if it's like, we have school shootings while you have missing it. I'm like, no, Mm. can we not do that? Mm. Can we do something other than that? Like, they're both important to deal with. And we both... We have to deal with both of them. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, we can't. Can you please also, like, when you, for the 50 billionth time, have posted that I have to talk, that everyone on your desk should be talking about an American issue, maybe you could have the critical thinking to be like, oh, do I apply this to my own life? Right. Do I apply these standards to my own life? Right. Anyways, do you want to talk about an activist? Let's talk about an activist. I guess we sort of are on topic because yeah. Lesbia Harford was an activist and an incredible one. And she, she also, did a lot like, of really cool things. She did a lot of really cool things. And she has um, she has this quote that I'm going to read later that I absolutely love and I feel like is so applicable to our times right now. And Loki broke my heart. I'm going to be honest when I read it again. And this is one of Dean's articles. So I really, really suggest you go and read it on our website, www.makingcrazy.com. Find the Lesbia Harford article and read it. Dean did a fantastic job. Dean always does a fantastic job. He's a great, he's just great. He's just, yeah, shout out to Dean for being great. And he also put out uh, an article about trans, uh, the representation of trans men in media as a, in the past five years, which I think is really interesting. You should definitely go check it out. And I'm just really proud of the work he does. I always am. And that is our our daily shout out to Dean. But this article is written by Dean. So if you want to learn more about this person, definitely check out the article. And yeah. Let's learn about Lesbia Harford. Let's learn about Lesbia Harford. So she was born in Brighton, Victoria, Mm -hmm. in Australia. Mm -hmm. uh, On April 9th, 1891. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she was born to... I don't remember the name of her father. Her mother's name was Beatrice. And... Uh, Beatrice was the great great granddaughter to an Earl of Drogheda. Do cool. not know where that is. Um, but yeah, Lesbia was their first child, uh, and when Lesbia was around nine, mm-hmm. her father left the family because he was going to search for work, but he never was able to return. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, and I also saw that he had like a failed real estate business, yeah. so he was financially struggling yeah and that's why he left Mm -hmm. and so uh lesbia and her three siblings were raised by beatrice Mm -hmm. who made ends meet single moms amazing yeah doing a great job and they made ends meet by taking on various jobs and taking in borders Mm -hmm. and lesbia herself was known to be somewhat of a solitary child like Mm -hmm. she didn't really socialize a lot she didn't really meet other people Mm -hmm. and some people and it's claimed that she was just happier alone though some people also say that it had to do with uh, her chronic illness Mm -hmm. as she was of somewhat poor health and she struggled with that throughout her entire life Mm -hmm. yeah and then she went to a couple different schools, but she was one of the first few women to graduate with a law degree Incredible. at the University of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And then instead of going into law, which she could have and would have done great at, she got uh, into activism and decided to work at textile and clothing factories. Mm-hmm. Which so, I think is incredible. I think yeah. so many activists like talk a big game and, and then don't actually integrate in any way with the people they're talking about and lesbia just really went into it she loved working at the factories like Mm -hmm. she didn't enjoy the work itself but she kept talking so fondly of like the women she worked with Mm -hmm. the solidarity the community 
And I think that's like such an important part of activism. And like, if I could give any advice to any activists who are oncoming, I think there are so many that are oncoming because unfortunately it seems like our younger generation has been thrust upon with the, the with the the duty to be activists for many of, pe- of the people in this generation mm-hmm. but I, I think one piece of advice if i could give any is that it needs to come from love it, it, really it needs to it, if it doesn't not only is it so fucking easy to tell but you're gonna fail yeah you're gonna fail the community it's just performatory it's performative yeah performative that's the word performative and it doesn't really mean anything Mm -hmm. right like even if the work you do is important you have to care about what you're working for or it's going to be tainted some way especially if the community is not your own Mm -hmm. um i'd say even if i actually had a discussion about this on my um on my social media a little while back talking about um how uh there's sort of like a discussion going on right now with i don't know if if y'all uh remember love simon the mm-hmm. the very underground book, you know. <laughs> no one read this book. By Becky Albertalli, who um, at that time people thought to be a straight woman, but has later come out to be a bisexual person. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a lot of discussion of her sexuality in her second book coming out, uh, Leah on the Offbeat or something, mm-hmm. which was about a bisexual woman. And she had publicly stated that her identity was a straight woman for a while. And then everyone was like, well, this isn't an own voices story. And if you don't know what own voices is, it's sort of a movement to put sort of the reins back in the hands of the marginalized voices that we want to hear from. Instead of like basically having marginalized authors tell marginalized stories. Mm -hmm. And And often tell their, like, not their own stories, but the stories that are related to them. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, there's... There's a lot of nuance there. There's a lot of discussion we had there. I think it's most applicable and most clear in the communities I know that it started from, which is the indigenous community and the black community. Mm-hmm. So like, I think BIPOC communities is one of the ones that it fits best. And I think this is another thing that we should note is that like, <laughs> activism's never one size fits all. Mm-hmm. And people have really quickly applied own voices to the queer community, even though it doesn't really fit unfortunately because for that to work every single author to write a queer narrative would have to be out about their sexuality Mm -hmm. they'd have to or gender identity or gender identity and they'd have to do that soul searching and Mm -hmm. that have that realization before they publish their book 100 percent. and becky awaltali didn't know she was bisexual when Mm -hmm. she was writing life summit she wrote this really important i I would really suggest you read this she wrote this really important essay when she did come out saying that basically she didn't want to come out Mm-hmm. She never want. She didn't want to come out like this. She was only just discovering her identity as a bisexual person, and she was really uncomfortable that she was forced to come out to be sort of legitimized, taken seriously, and taken seriously. And I think that's something that really needs to be noted. I've had conversations myself with uh, queer authors who are not out as queer, and who who talk to me about how uncomfortable they feel. They're like, I want to write the story that resonates with me, but I don't want my family to know that I'm queer Mm -hmm. right and I don't want I don't want my family knowing that I'm queer and I don't want people to attack me Mm -hmm. or well not attack you but like criticize you harshly for not being in own voices and question your identity and I think that's one of the big failures of the own voices narrative as applied to the queer community and there's a lot of other failures and one of the things I talked about in that discussion was that it's a much a much better metric would be how much time this person and you can never really tell this one either but you sort of can at the same time and I think it's a much more reasonable criticism to put forward and rather saying I don't think this author is queer which I think is a really shitty point to make Mm -hmm. 
because you're generally like you don't know that information are you their close friend or do you expect them to disclose their identity to you Mm -hmm. um but like i think a better way of having that discussion is is saying i think this person has not spent a lot of time with the queer community that's a lot better way of like viewing it and which is true for so many people who haven't been out and that's not like me being like they're failing for that but there are ramifications for not spending time with the community that you are advocating for and you know i have some friends who are not spending time (laughs) yeah and like i think all of us know some queer people who like very clearly don't talk to other queer people Mm -hmm. and don't engage in community at all and i'm just gonna assume most of them are listening to this podcast because just listening to this podcast is in a way engaging community in my own mind but like there's all all also like in-person community that i think i i would encourage everyone to take part in Mm -hmm. um but i think we've all probably met a queer person who espouses the beliefs of you know, equality and all this stuff, but it's very clear in their activism that they're not in it for the community. They're in it for their very specific aspect. I I do know, like, I I, I know so many queer people like that, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. who, you know, they're like, you you find a trans man who really cares about trans rights, but doesn't care about, like, you know, the lesbians of color on the side, or doesn't care about any of the other issues, but the ones that affect them. And that Mm -hmm. really frustrates me because- that's the whole reason it's LGBT. I had someone approach me, act, well, not approach me, I approached them. I gave them a criticism for something they were doing that I believed to be transphobic. And they replied to me being like, I'm LGBT. And I'm like, that doesn't change anything. But like, are you, like, you, are you, you trans? Would, you, and even if you're trans, like... It doesn't matter. Like, you did something to harm the community, even if it didn't harm yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you didn't harm yourself, you can still harm the greater queer community Mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the big reasons that like you really have to have some level integration into any community you advocate for and if you don't the only thing you should be doing is uplifting those voices Mm -hmm. that's it gotta participate in the community and lesbia really did that she she could have worked in law and instead she worked in a factory for almost her entire life and she was a woman with chronic health conditions and that needs to be remembered and you know while she had difficulty through that she worked in both in spite of and because of it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even want to say in spite. It, it, because mm-hmm. of of her chronic illnesses, like, she was able to advocate for the other people in this factory mm-hmm. in a way that many other people wouldn't, many people without chronic pain wouldn't. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, and she was just, like, a very firm believer in the fact that women's rights were workers' rights. Mm-hmm. Which is and, a, and, and another vice, thing that was... Vice versa, in that she... She had these really radical politics about liber- women's liberation and, mm-hmm. and women's rights, and she, she equated them with workers' liberation and mm-hmm. workers' rights, because they are, we can't be free until we're all free, right? 100%. And, and that was sort of a thing that she really lived by. Mm-hmm. She became uh, a vice president in, in uh, um, the uh, Federated Clothing and Allied Trades Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was very active in the union and the unionizing of... of uh, clothing factory workers mm-hmm. and she in addition to that she also believed in in free love and open relationships we but love a polyamory also, queen we do we do and she also again equated with with women's rights and workers rights because she was like all of this is connected is connected and that is sort of nice mm-hmm. and then once uh first world war rolled around yeah she also 
move moves even further forward with being incredibly anti-war and anti-conscription. And she, I believe she almost got arrested at one point. Mm-hmm. Which a lot of people were really worried about her at that mm-hmm. point because they were like, um, will you survive in prison? Mm-hmm. And then she befriended and started a relationship with this guy called Guido Baracci. You've skipped one of her relationships. Oh, I'm so sorry. You've skipped Katie Lush. And I I've, I really wanted to talk about Katie Lush, not because just because she's a fantastic activist in her own right, and her relationship with a, a lesbian is important, but also because that is a beautiful name. Katie Lush. Like, I read that and I was like, oh my gosh. She was a philosophy tutor mm-hmm. at, I believe, Melbourne University. Mm-hmm. And her and Lesbia were just, like, really close. And they for stayed the with each other, their yeah, life. for their entire lives. And, like, while their romantic relationship, I think, at a point ended, mm-hmm. they still had a relationship for the rest of their life, which is something that I think is so, so valuable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with a lot of the articles I've been writing recently, you can we, you can check the most recent ones. Um, one that will have just come out for our, our lovely patrons will have been one about Leopold von Andrian, as well as the one a couple weeks well, about a month ago, of Catherine Mansfield and these lifelong relationships they had. And I just like, and I think Sophia Parnock is another one. I think there's just these beautiful moments in queer history of just lifelong relationships that are so powerful, even if they don't include romance. Because they can just be lifelong friendships, Mm -hmm. right? There's something about the connection and that community Mm -hmm. that we were talking about earlier that's just... It's so valuable. Mm-hmm. It's so valuable and it, it's it's so important to the queer community. And I don't think the queer community could exist without it. I don't think so. And I think it's so important for all of us mm-hmm. to have that love and understanding and connection that nothing else can compare really. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't have to be romantic at all. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even have to be like, you know, someone you ever had a romance with or ever will have a romance with. I think it just needs to be someone. Mm-hmm. You have or to be multiple one. someone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It can be like 20 someones if that's what you're, you're, what works for you, you as a human. I just believe that humans, well, I, I don't just believe it. It's true. Humans need other humans. And you're 100% right. I think the queer community is taught to not try and do that. Mm-hmm. It's taught to be solitary. It's taught to do things in the quiet. And I think one of the bravest things we have done is to fight that and to find that community and to make those relationships, even when we're told not to. To refer our last uh, podcast yeah. uh, about... Carl Henry Ulrich. I want always want to call him Hans. Carl Henry Ulrich. Yeah. And, and how he found a community where he did not expect to find one. Mm-hmm. And how he learned so much and understood so much from having this community just appear out of nowhere or seemingly out of nowhere. And I think that's like such a notable thing as well because like I, I, I have been thinking about queer community a lot lately with with the discussion of own voices thing that I had because you know not everyone is does have an accessible route to engaging with a queer community. You know not everyone has a gay bar, not everyone has uh, a, a queer center not everyone has all these things but I, I truly do believe that you can find a queer community wherever you end up being and mm-hmm. it's not always gonna be safe and it's not always something that I would suggest doing or putting flyers up or anything Mm-mm. but I do believe that you can find someone wherever you are if you're like if a, if a man from like 1800 Germany or Austria Austria Germany one of those two can do it or was it Austria-Hungary I, I know it's Austria. Yeah, it's Austria something. If he can do it, I I I think that gives me so much hope. Mm-hmm. That like 
and there's there's a story that I have to share now. Um, I I went to this uh, trans camp where it was just like talking to other trans people and stuff. Where I met this uh, amazing trans woman who I was talking with, and we were just like talking about regular things. And she's like, "Where are you from?" And I'm like, "Oh, well, I, I'm not from Edmonton. I'm actually Lethbridge before, and then before that, I I grew up at Claire's home." And she's like, "Claire's home? I lived there." And I'm like, when? And we had overlapping time in Claire's. I'm this trans woman who I met so many years later at a trans camp, fully out. And she was apparently out at the time as well. She worked at the um, the Ford dealership that my crush in high school's uh, father owned. Huh. By crush, I mean uh, compulsory heterosexuality crush, but like still. And like... It's actually really funny. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the story about... I'll tell Will the story. Sorry, y'all. I'll tell Will the story of how compulsory heterosexuality that crush was. But it was just, like, such a beautiful thing to find out later in life. And I, I truly do believe that, like, it doesn't always have to be retroactive, you know? Mm-hmm. You can make it now. And I also think that, especially for me, mm-hmm. I, I highly underestimated how many queer people I was surrounding myself with. 100%. And that's not my that's hometown. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- as far as I'm aware, none of my high school friends have come out as queer. Mm-hmm. Yet. No, that's actually not true. I didn't think it was. That's actually not true. There are a couple trans people, and I mean, mm-hmm. I, I have an interest in being like, ah, this is why we were, we were vibing. Mm-hmm. This is why we were friends. At the time, I was like, I'm not sure why we're friends, but I like this person. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, ah, queer. <laughs> yes. That is it. Yeah, but anyways, we should probably get back on track. Yes. yes sorry. So yeah, um, Lesbia, uh, through working with in, uh, a, a group called Industrial Workers of the World, which she got heavily engaged with during uh, World War One, And through this group, she met a man called Guido Baracci, who was a member of the Australian Communist Party. And while a lot of people say that Lesbia became radicalized by him, uh, he has stated several times that she was, in fact, what led him to become more radicalized. And he tried his hand at factory working like Lesbia had been doing for, like, 10, 10 years or something, and he lasted a week. Uh, but in the end, um, Lesbia's heart, chronic heart condition did affect her, mm-hmm. and it started... Her health got worse and worse and worse, and it really, really affected her work and her activism, and it be- turned into a huge risk. I believe at one point she was hospitalized, mm-hmm. and then she broke out. With the help of a nurse. Which is very impressive. When are we going to get that movie? Right? Give me the heist movie of the nurse breaking Lesbia Hartford out. Also, a side note. Another side note. There's been so many side notes in this episode, I'm so sorry. But I was thinking about it recently as I was writing the Leopold von Andrian article. And I was like, what what would I like what would I want from this article? Like what would my ideal be? What would what would I want to happen? And I was like, what I'd want to happen with almost all my articles, like the wildest dreams I could possibly have for them would be <laughs> that individually hundreds of queer people would interact with and, and connect with each one individually, and end up writing long, either fiction or non-fiction novels about these people. Because, like, I only get to write about a thousand, two thousand words tops. I want to (laughs) see at least, like, one non-fiction book that I can actually access just about these people who are so often footnotes and who are so so often ignored. And whether that's like historical fiction or like an actual fact biography, that's what I'd want. That that is a good dream. Thank you. And I want that for Lesbia as well. So So if you want to write 
historical fiction mm-hmm. about Lesbia Harford. Mm-hmm. Please, please do. Please do send us a link. Yes, uh, you better send us a link. If you don't, I will count it as discrimination. We will include it in the book club. I actually saw recently, uh, we went to a bookstore, and there was this like fictionalized version of fictionalized version of L.M. Montgomery's life. That is the author of Anne of Green Gables, if you don't know. And I was like, I want this for every single person I've written about. I want to see fictionalized versions of their lives. So, anyways, continue. Um, and then after that, um, the the industrial workers of the world was banned for from a form for anti-war propaganda. And it's always anti-war propaganda that you're banned for. Never war propaganda. Yeah, like, I would love things to be banned for pro-war propaganda. That'd be great. Ugh. That'd be amazing. Please. Yeah. Uh, but, but who's gonna make money off of selling tanks? <laughs> right. The poor tank businessman. Who's gonna put money in his pockets? You'll go home to starving sons and daughters around Abel saying, I didn't sell any tanks today, little Timmy. I'm so sorry I failed you. We live in a society. We do. We do live in a society. Continue. I'm so sorry. Okay. Uh, in the end, through um, the industrial workers of the world, Lesbia met the man that she ended up marrying, Pat Hart. So Pat was an artist. Uh, he worked specifically with Australian modernism. He was also a... He had also previously been a soldier, and he lived with chronic, some chronic injuries and also PTSD. So when they got married and both of them had, and they sort of um, bonded over art and activism and also health issues. So they both sort of understand each, understood each other. They were on the same wavelength per se mm-hmm. in, in ways that I believe no one else truly got them. Mm-hmm. And while I believe both Guido and Lesbia's brother said that this marriage was short and unhappy and mm-hmm. not good for either of them, it... Some sources also say that it was, like, really happy, and they shared many years of of art and and activism together, and Mm -hmm. they just really enjoyed each other's company. In the end, they did separate due to health problems, Mm -hmm. and it got too much for both of them to deal with together. Mm -hmm. Um, And by that point, Lesbia moved back to her mother's boarding house and spent some years there, continued writing, uh, but her health in the end failed her. And she died in 1927 in July, with Katie Lush by her side. Incredible. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, she had written a lot, a lot of poetry in her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, she'd been writing since she was about 19. Uh, if you can, get your hands on some of her poetry books. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from one of her published works... Uh, There was a critic who said this about her in 1927. She has written some of the best lyrics among today's. And certainly, I would say, the best love lyrics written out here. Love that. Right? Okay, so here is some of her poetry. And this one just, like, really resonated with me today. And I think it might resonate with some of you, considering the world as it is. I was sad, having signed up in a rebel band, having signed up to rid the land of the plague it had, for I knew that I would suffer, I would be lost, be bitter and foolish and tempest-tossed, and a failure too. I was sad, though far in the future our light would shine, for the present darkness was ours, was mine, I couldn't be glad. Holy shit. Yeah, that one was a little too hard. It reminds me of this um, quote that I, I had um, on my binder. It's from Les Mis. Um, I, I written it really big letters on my binder, and it was um, citizens 
remember, though the 20th century is great, the 21st will be happy. And that's not a perfect one, but I thought I think about it a lot. And I'm like, though the 21st is great, the 22nd will be happy. It will. Anyway, I just thought that was a great poem. That is a good quote. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's Lesbia Harford's life. Yeah. Let's move on to the third section of our podcast, which is Wrecking the Queers. Where we recommend things and you wreck us. Um, unfortunately, you haven't wrecked us recently. Partially, when will you wreck us? This is partially my fault. We have been really, really busy lately, so I haven't been keeping up super intensely with like emails and stuff. So I'm going to come back with like a little bit more because there have been some wrecks, but I just don't have the energy to quite respond to them right yet. We will come, we'll circle back next month. But I Get will ready. recommend you something. Get ready for some wrecks next month, guys. Mm-hmm. All right. Are y'all ready? Because this is, this is a great book. And I know y'all are shocked. Like, a book? But. Cannot believe this. The book is called Ace by Angela Chen. And it is fantastic. I actually just finished reading it today. And it was, it was so good. It was so good. It's a book about asexuality. I know y'all are shocked from the name. But asexuality and it's about its, its sort of place in the queer community and how it affects the queer community. And not just the queer community. All communities. And how... The discussion of asexuality sort of ex- affects our discussion of sexuality in general. And I think it's just an absolutely fantastic read. One of the things I loved about it most was that it really went beyond the basic. Because I feel like so often queer books, queer nonfiction are so basic to me. It's like, did you know trans people deserve to have their pronouns respected? And I'm like, yes, I did. So what else? <laughs> and they're, they're so busy explaining things to like the first base that... You know, when you move past, you're like, well, can we talk about other things now? Um, But Ace really, Ace really addresses a lot of things that I I just never thought about. And it also, I think it is a great tool for the queer community to have in discussion of asexuality in general and where it belongs in our community. Because obviously, as as we've said many times on this project, asexual people, aromantic people, everyone on this asexual or aromantic spectrum belongs in the queer community. And anyone who says otherwise can shut the fuck up. I will die on that hill. I will, I will die, I will die, die on, on that hill. But I also think that this is a great book to really demonstrate how firmly the, these this group belongs. And like, I, I don't know if that sounds almost like, I, I hope that doesn't sound bad because you don't need to prove that you belong. But at the same time, it's just so clear that this is where they belong. This is, it's with us. It's with the queer community. It, that's where asexuality belongs. That's where asexual people belong. And it's such a good book, and I I really would dare anyone who doesn't believe asexual people are part of the queer community to read this book and continue that opinion. Because mm-hmm. it, it really, it never actually addresses that. It, it doesn't. It, it, I think in a side note, it's like, some people don't believe this, but they're douche waffles. And I'm like, I agree. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and I'm like, I agree. But like... It, 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 it more thematically is sort of like, doesn't even debunk them. It just is so evident in every word of the book that asexuality is so important and aromantic and asexual people are so fucking vital to everything. Mm-hmm. They're so vital to every discussion we have. And I, I think it's so important that we recognize this as a community because I think one of the the things that even the, you know, the good people do is they leave asexual and romantic people out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And they leave them, even if they're like, oh, you're part of the queer community. They're like, well, you're not, belo- you don't belong in these conversations when they do. <laughs> like every queer per- person belongs in most, com- well, that's not true. But like asexual and aromantic people belong in way more conversations than we 
really welcome them into Mm -hmm. and give them room to enter. And I just, it was a fantastic book. I think it's a great read for anyone who wants to learn about asexuality, is asexual, and sort of wants to just learn about the societal, like, very sociological kind of book. Sort of, like, look around the questions about asexuality, maybe see some history around asexuality, and anyone who isn't asexual or aromantic to sort of learn a little bit more and also understand a little bit more of what asexuality and aromanticism means for us as a global community. And I just, I loved this book. I was so happy to read it, and I, I felt so good after having read it because I was like oh finally this book taught me something because I just had a bad run lately of like queer books just being like transphobia is bad (laughs) so I'm like okay a little basic but proud of the energy but no it was just a fantastic book I recommend it to anyone who can get their hands on it I I I would even recommend it to beginners like you might have to look up some terms I don't think it's out of like it's it's ununderstandable Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and it really introduced me to a lot of concepts that I hadn't considered before Mm -hmm. it's Always nice to have that good read after some bad reads. Right. I'm excited to read it myself. I hope we buy it because mm-hmm. I really want to read it. Oh yeah, I'm definitely I just had it. some had a had like a sort of bad experience with the book. Yeah, uh, about that like included queer people, but like in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I remember which one you're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah, that was a weird. That was a weird book. The book that I I recently finished was like also about sexuality specifically. It was like a sort of a sexual health book. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like call it out because I don't want to like drag the author or anything. But it, it was just, like, really annoying because it was, like, so basic. It was, like, sex is supposed to feel good for everyone involved. I'm, like, I know. You're, like, thank you. <sighs> thank you. And he's, like, consent is important. I'm, like, yep. Mm-hmm. And this book had such a more, so much more of a nuanced discussion around it. And it, I, I really don't want to, like, repeat any of it for fear of, of ruining the amazing points that the author made. So I'm just going to, again, suggest you read it yourself. And I hope you love it as much as I did. And I think that's it. Yeah, that's all we have to say. So remember to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, Tumblr. Email us at queerhistorypatreon at gmail.com. Visit our website at www.makingqueerhistory.com. And you can become a patron of our uh, project and help us keep making queer history. Yeah. At www.patreon.com slash queerhistory. And now... We're going to bed. Now we're going to bed. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you all have a great day. Take care of yourselves. Drink water. Stay safe. Mm -hmm. Hug a loved one if you can. If you can't, text someone who Mm -hmm. you have wanted to text. And if you have the chance to give someone else the ability to take care of themselves. If you you can, send a friend $5. Be like, hey, buy yourself a coffee. Build community in any way that you can. Mm Mm-hmm. Be a part of the community that was just waiting for you. You belong there. Okay? All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much for listening, guys. And remember, history is queerer than you think. We have always existed, and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. Stop. Every 
Thank you. 